Welcome to the Biblical Plotlines podcast, where we explore the story of Scripture. I'm your host, Chris King, and this episode is the second part of my conversation with Old Testament scholar Desi Alexander. And we talk about how the New Covenant relates to the Old Covenant in the book of Exodus. And we also look at the theme of Mount Zion throughout the Bible, and then we focus in on the story of the golden calf. So there's a lot of great stuff in here, and we hope you enjoy this episode. So Desi, we know the covenant that God made with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai was an important event in Israel's history. But for us who are part of the new covenant, how are we supposed to relate to that old covenant? How should we view that covenant? One of the things that it's important to appreciate is that the Exodus story is to be understood as a paradigm or a model. Okay for divine salvation. Right. So it illustrates for us uh, something that we're meant to appreciate in a much fuller way when we come to Jesus Christ. Okay. So, so for example, the tabernacle that's created that God comes to dwell in yeah. is, is understood as being a model of the heavenly temple. Okay. And uh, the priests who serve in the model are meant to give us uh, an illustration of what Jesus Christ does in the heavenly temple. Uh, So it's it's worth observing that uh, um, the model uh, is but a shadow uh, as far as the author of Hebrews is concerned. Uh, He he wants to make the point that uh, the first covenant illustrates uh, important ideas okay but uh, it's merely an exam it's merely a model it's a little bit like an architect's model okay of a, of a building right you, you've got the model but uh, it's really meant to give you a sense of what the real thing looks like right and and the author of Hebrews wants to make the point that uh, the the first covenant the Sinai covenant is merely modeling, uh, a much greater, a much better covenant okay. and uh, a much better arrangement. Right. So, so, for example, the Old Testament priests had to offer every day sacrifices for their sins right. in order to be able to serve within the temple or, or the tabernacle. Mm. Uh, and that's contrasted with Jesus Christ, who is the perfect high priest. Okay. And... Uh, he he doesn't have to offer sacrifices every day for his own sin because he is perfect. He is sinless. Right. Uh, he serves within the heavenly temple, having been uh, exalted, mm. and uh, so he he is a much better high priest than any of the Old Testament high priests. Right. And and therefore his ministry is much much more effective than that of the, the Old Testament priests. And, and so you get this contrast being drawn between the first covenant and the new covenant. Uh, the new covenant is much superior to the old covenant, but the old covenant helps us understand by way of giving us a picture, mm. uh, a model of uh, what's happening in terms of the heavenly temple and 
Jesus there as the, the heavenly high priest. Mm, yeah, that's so helpful to see the old covenant as that pattern pointing towards something better that's still to come. So let me ask you, in Exodus, there's this big event where God comes to dwell on the mountaintop and there's thunder and lightning. And then at the end of Exodus, God comes to dwell in the tabernacle that the people build. So how are these two places, the the mountaintop and the tabernacle, how are they related to each other? How are they reflected in one another? One of the interesting features of the tabernacle that uh, various scholars have picked up on, and it's part of Jewish tradition, is that the tabernacle is is in some way a model of the mountain of okay. Mount Sinai. Uh, so some people would describe it as being a miniature Mount Sinai. Right. So you you find that uh, the mountain was divided into different sections. Okay. So the, you've got the very top of the summit of the mountain mm. uh, where only Moses can go. Okay. Uh, you've got then the side of the mountain where the, the representatives of the people are able to go. And then you've got the foot of the mountain uh, where the people are mm. and where they also build an altar. And uh, in the same way, the tabernacle has the Holy of Holies, right. which represents the, you might say, the summit of the mountain. Okay. Uh, you've got the holy place where the priests, the high priest can go, the priests can, can enter it. Right. And then you've got the courtyard, which is like the, the area at the foot of the mountain where, again, you've got an altar. Uh, and uh, you've got to offer sacrifices on the altar before you can enter into the tabernacle. You had to offer sacrifices on the altar before you could ascend the mountain. Mm. So there's a sense in which the the tabernacle is perceived as as being a miniature Mount Sinai. Right. And then what actually happens in terms of thinking about this is that the the Israelites uh, transport the Mount Sinai experience mm. with them uh, so that when they come to Jerusalem eventually yeah. uh, and they, they build the, ta- the temple there, mm. uh, there's a sense in which Mount Zion, yes. where the temple is, uh, is seen as being a continuation of Mount Sinai. Right. So the Israelites never think of going back on pilgrimages to Mount Sinai. It never becomes right. a, a sacred location for them as, as a people mm. uh, because they, they see Jerusalem and uh, the temple there uh, as being the, the continuation of this covenant relationship that they form at uh, Mount Sinai. Okay. And speaking of Mount Zion, this is a term we see throughout the Old Testament, and it even comes up frequently in the Psalms. But how are we supposed to understand that term, Mount Zion? What does that mean? You, you have this sense, as far as the Israelites are concerned, and it's illustrated in the Exodus story, that they begin, the people begin on the plains uh, the, the, in the delta region of Egypt. Uh, at sea level, basically. Okay. And in their journey towards God and into God's presence, uh, they come to a mountain. Right. And they ascend. The, the idea of ascending the mountain is 
to bring them closer to God. Okay. And that's reflected particularly in the Psalms. Yes. You get this idea that uh, who shall ascend mm. uh, the mountain of God? Uh, the, the person whose hands are clean, whose heart is pure. Right. Uh, uh, the one who is holy. Mm. Uh, and so this, this idea of uh, going up towards God is very important. Mm. Uh, there's a sort of a theology of geography uh, right. at, at this point. Yeah. Um, and so the, the Psalms will speak of Mount Zion mm. as, as being where you encounter God. You go up into God's presence. Okay. Um, that's actually an idea that you can trace back to the book of Exodus because when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt mm. and they were singing a song to celebrate their deliverance from the Egyptians uh, in Exodus 15, yeah. towards the end of the song, they speak about how God is going to bring them in and plant them on his mountain. Okay. Uh, where he dwells, mm. uh, his sanctuary, his holy place. And and so there is this expectation, even in the book of Exodus, that the, the final journey is to uh, enter into uh, or, or go up uh, the mountain of God uh, and dwell with him. Uh, that, that idea of uh, to do with geography uh, even comes through when you get to uh, the book of Revelation. Right, Because okay. interestingly, the book of Revelation ends by contrasting two cities. Okay. Uh, uh, Babylon, which is in a wilderness, mm. and uh, the New Jerusalem, mm. uh, which is on a mountain. Okay. Uh, it, it's, it's worth observing that the, the angel of... Uh, takes John to the top of a mountain, right, so that he can see the New Jerusalem. Okay, and and you have this sense that uh, uh, God's dwelling place uh, is exalted. Mm. Uh, it's kind of mo- mountain top, not not in the sense of uh, being like the top of Everest, right, but but rather it's somewhere that. Uh, is uh, kind of on a hill. Mm. It's it's there to be seen. It's not it's not going to be obscured right. in any way. Uh, Mount Zion in the Old Testament, in a sense, anticipates th- this idea. Right. Uh, this idea that uh, you go up into God's you go up to God's presence. Mm. So so in the Psalms, you've got a whole section that has to do with Psalms of ascent. Yes. About going up uh, to the temple, going up to God's presence. Mm. And it's part of it's a kind of um, uh, part of this this idea that uh, is there in Exodus about ascending Mount Sinai, mm. and in actual fact, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, right. there's a sense in which Eden was an exalted location, okay, because the rivers flow out of Eden, right, uh, to water the rest of the earth. Well, why don't we focus in on one of the stories in Exodus and look at the golden calf incident. And usually the way we understand this story is that the people have just entered into this covenant relationship with God, and then it seems they immediately turn away from God and worship this idol. But maybe you can explain to us some of the subtleties that we can miss in this story and just 
Help us understand what's really going on in this passage. Yes, the, the golden calf incident is really interesting. And there's a certain irony to it that okay. uh, is maybe not always appreciated or picked up. Uh, you have to see it in its context because mm. Moses has ascended the mountain, uh, leaving the people uh, at the foot of the mountain. Right. And uh, he's going to be away from them for 40 days. It's a, it's a long period of time. Mm. And uh, they become anxious, the Israelites. And uh, the one thing that they want to have is God's presence mm. in their midst. And in the ancient world, uh, gods were thought of as being present in idols. Okay. So you made an idol of your deity. Okay. And then you expect that, that the deity would come and be present right. in that idol. Okay. So it was a place to, so when you would go to, to worship, when you would be in front of the idol, you sensed that you were in the presence of, of that God. Right. Uh, now, Exodus, the book of Exodus wants to make the point that the Israelites were not to make idols uh, but rather they were to make a tent okay. in which God would dwell in their midst. Right. Uh, and that's, God is giving these instructions to Moses on Mount Sinai. He's going to come and he's going to make a tent uh, in which he will dwell with the people. Mm. But the people have become impatient and they've decided to revert to what's the kind of the traditional practice of the peoples of the ancient world. Right. Uh, so they're going to make an idol. Mm. And uh, it's clear that they see this idol, this calf or young bull that they make, mm. as actually representing Yahweh. Right. Um, that their own God. Right. Uh, they're not worshiping, that they don't see themselves as uh, setting out to worship some other deity. Right. Uh, However, the the author of Exodus wants to make the point that this worship, the worship that they're engaging in using an idol, is actually inappropriate. And so what happens in the Hebrew text is that the author does something slightly bizarre in terms of how he refers uh, to the idol. Mm. And uh, the English translations find it very difficult to uh, replicate what's actually happening in the Hebrew text. Okay. Uh, uh, it, it needs to be understood that normally in Hebrew, the word for God is the word Elohim. Mm. And Elohim looks like a plural word. Right. Uh, and it normally takes a singular verb. Right. Uh, in order to indicate that uh, you're talking about one God. Right. Uh, in this particular passage in Exodus, however, the, the verbs that are associated with Elohim are in the plural. Right, okay. And, and this, would have, this would strike readers, Hebrew readers, as being very unusual. Right. Something unexpected. Mm. And it's the author's way of wanting, I think, to make the point that there's something... A, a jar here. There's something uh, 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 wrong yes. in terms of what's happening. Right. So, so interestingly, 
in terms of the details of the story, it seems as if the Israelites are doing things that are kind of appropriate. Right, okay. So they will offer uh, burnt offerings and mm. fellowship offerings in the presence of the idol, mm. um, which is what they did at the foot of the mountain uh, in God's presence. Uh, they hold a feast. Uh, Aaron speaks about them uh, having a feast yeah. to Yahweh. Uh, so, so the people think that they are worshiping appropriately right. Yahweh. But in actual fact, because they're using an idol, mm. uh, what they do is inappropriate and right. God is angered by this. Uh, so the whole episode is about the people wanting to have God present with them. God was making arrangements for that to happen, but not as the, uh, but the, the people aren't prepared to wait for God to do it in his way. Right. And why was it so ironic that they made this idol to represent God's dwelling place in the midst of the people? Well, the expectation was that the tabernacle uh, would be where God dwells. Right. And, and uh, uh, the tabernacle is like a tent. And, and there's a sense in which God is, you might say, more like the people in, in dwelling in the, among them. Okay. Uh, the, the tent would take on royal proportions because it would have lots of gold and mm. uh, silver and uh, would, it would reflect something of the glory of God okay. in being a very special tent. Mm. Uh, but that's very different from thinking about God as a, as a bull. Right. Uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an animal. Okay. Uh, now, the Israelites may well have thought that this, uh, this God who rescued them from Egypt is strong and powerful like a bull. Mm. And they may have felt that that was, the kind, was an appropriate image uh, to create, but, but, that's, but that's not how God wants to be represented right. uh, among the people. Right. And, and so... Uh, there's a sense in which uh, no object can represent God uh, appropriately, right? And and that's why the tent, in a way, is much more is is a much more appropriate uh, way of God being present. He he, in a sense, dwells the, he, uh, um, he dwells inside the tent, right? Uh, he's present there. Uh, but there's also a sense in which he is still, in some way, hidden from the people. They they don't they cannot see they cannot look upon his face and see him directly. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation on Exodus. And if you're looking for more resources, Desi has written a few commentaries on the book of Exodus. So you can check out those. And this podcast is in partnership with the Good Lion Network, and you can check out their website at goodlion.io. And our theme music is provided by Josh Mahood. So thanks for joining us on this episode. We hope to see you next time. And until then, keep reading your Bibles.